Welcome to the Maverick CPA Podcast, where we talk with industry leaders and specialists about their maverick approach to business, opportunity, and life. The show is brought to you by your podcast team, where having your own podcast is as easy as being a guest on ours. Find out more at yourpodcast.team. Now, here's your host, Jay Tompkins. Welcome to Maverick CPA Podcast. Today, we have Chris Stankowski with Woodmark. He has risen from literally cleaning the cabinets to the president of the company and an awesome guy to talk to. Thanks for having me. I'm great. Well, as some of you heard in the intro, Chris is the president of a company called Woodmark, who he and I are both partners in, among with some other people. But Chris, give me a little bit about what Woodmark is. Well, Woodmark is a Houston-based architectural woodworking company. We specialize mainly in commercial interiors. We do residential, high-end residential as well, and uh, healthcare. Nice, very okay. good. So, I know some people, you know, they're going to think of, let's say, cabinetry in their house, which I know we don't do. We do, but we don't do. Right? It's very specific. So, get a little more detail into that. Okay, so the cabinets we do is mainly for a high-end residential house, uh, typical builder-grade stuff. You know, we're not in that market, so it's more for the custom homes. Gotcha, gotcha. And and I know the the style we do is what's considered European style. Am I saying that correctly? Yes, sir. You are. That's correct. It would be a European style cabinet, which basically means it's frameless. And the typical home that people are in, right, they, they think of the frame around the door, right? And the more European style or that maybe they're used to seeing in their office has become more of a trend in residential. So that's why we've leaned more into residential recently because that trend has been shifting and, and may stick around for a while. We'll see. Yeah, l- largely been shifting in that direction. A lot of the production home builders that we've dealt with are moving in that direction as well. So let's start at the beginning. You've had a long history at Woodmark, and I think your story of where you started and now becoming an owner and president of the company. So give us the background from the beginning. All right. Well, I started about 20 years ago at my first cabinet shop. I'd always done woodworking and stuff with my father growing up. So always had a need to work with my hands. The first place I worked at, they kind of just started me in doing small projects and stuff. And the the supervisor took a liking to me of the specialty side. So he trained me very strictly. It was either perfect or it was wrong. There was no gray area, no in between. So I learned real quickly to make my work perfect. Otherwise, I was redoing it. So I only wanted to do it one time. From there, that company went out of business and I did wood floors for a little bit in between there. And then uh, about 18 years ago, got my first position at Woodmark uh, cleaning cabinets. So throughout the years, you know, they I was so young when I started there. It was funny. They were, I was telling them, yeah, I can do all the custom stuff, everything. And they just kind of looked at me like, you're way too young to know that. And finally, it took a, a guy messing up several projects. And then they were like, all right, do you know how to, you know how to do this, right? I said, yeah, sure do. And from then I became the special project supervisor. We moved to a new facility, kind of moved into the shop foreman role, and then moved into the project management role, and then here I am today. So I've worked every level of production through the facility and 
and just know everything about it. It's what I love to do. That's awesome. And that's a great story for, you know, those who think they're maybe in a meaningless job that, you know, in a lot of ways, if you keep your head up and, and at the same time, put your head down and work hard, that can be, you know, rewarded. I think in this world, a lot of people jump around too easily for extra pay or this concept of something else. And sometimes longevity can pay off in the long run. And I think that is the case in, in, in your world. And I know we've known each other now for what, probably 12, 15 years. Yeah. 12, 15 years. Yeah. And I mean, I I was hired on as the previous owner's CPA and I started coming around and I know the three of us went on a few off-roading trips together, which is how I met the previous owner originally and, and got to know each other. And I don't know that I've ever told you this, but I remember talking to Tony and saying that, you know, Chris is the future of Woodmark. Like he's the guy that will take this beyond you. Right. And I'm not sure he believed it at the moment or didn't want to. And we all know who Tony was. So, you know, I'm, yeah. <laughs> I think he did, but he didn't want to and wasn't ready to think about that in that, in that manner. But we eventually got it there, you know, through some hurdles and so forth. And I would say that in the change in ownership, right, with our group and then plus you guys and John, the hurdles we've had over the last four years have been <laughs> dramatic. And if we can just have four years of non crazy hurdles, you know, and for those listening, we've been flooded twice with anywhere between eight and 12 inches of water and had to replace machinery. And one of those floods literally happened two months after we bought the company. So it has been a ride and there is no way it would be where it is today without Chris. Yeah. So well, I'll, I'll... Yeah. So about that, it was, I remember the day I, I went in there, I had kind of just had my end with, with Woodmark. I felt like I was kind of, my progression had stopped. Went in there to give, give my two weeks notice and Tony, you know, had informed me, you know, I, I can't let you do that. Said he had working on something on the background that, that afternoon I met with Jay and Tony and they told me the plan. Uh, of course I was convinced because it's what I'd been wanting to do the entire time. My wife took a little more convincing. Yeah. I remember I had to go to the house and convince her. You guys were already half packed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We were ready to go. She was ready to move. So, but after that, you know, you know, I always sat in the chair at the very beginning as all the problems started to come through. And I always remember being like, what is, what is Tony even doing there? He doesn't even do anything. And, and then now I'm sitting in this chair, I'm like, oh my gosh, that guy <laughs> has so much other stuff going on that is completely not visible to the outside. Just a world of different problems of running a company. And that's um, why actually, I'm going to say this the wrong way, but Tony's failure was not being transparent with that. Right? So if, and it's never going to be a hundred percent. But the more you're transparent with your people in describing what you do, what you're doing, how you're doing it, they will start to respect that, not that thinking of he's sitting in there doing nothing, playing on the internet, or he's not here, <laughs> he's out playing, right? Whatever, all the stuff that I know every day, everybody up and down the scale thinks, right? Oh, yeah. Because until you do it, but some of that comes from lack of transparency, lack of describing or telling people. And it's not like you have to necessarily tell like, let's have a meeting with 35 people in the shop, and I'm going to tell you what I do every day, right? It's not doing that. But if you tell the five or six or eight people in the office around you, 
they'll also tell other people and they'll tell other people, right? And it will trickle down into at least not this complete disconnect between, call it executive management and the guy cleaning the cabinets where you started, right? So right. It, it's never going to be perfect, but you know that's something to always consider. And, you know, as I've said it for a long time, is the top can be lonely, right? Yeah. It's, uh, yep. it's, and then that's why we're in peer groups and other sorts of things. Chris and I both are in Vistage with the same chair. And that those type of programs are great for those at the top that don't have a peer to talk to, yep. vent to, have problems. How do I fix this? Whatever. Now, you know, luckily, Chris and I both can talk, you know, about various things. And But even still, I'm not going to claim to have all the answers related to a cabinet company that, yes, I happen to invest in but and been around for a long time, but I don't know the inner workings of every day. So, I mean, I guess for you, Chris, you've come a long way at one place. You You, you really almost left at one point, but what do you have to say to people who would consider moving? How would you consider staying? Or what are the questions you should really ask? What are the things that should be important that I think people discount many times? You know, I have a, I have a theory behind that, and I don't know how accurate it is, but my goal or my focus for me in life was not always just about how much money I can make my goal and focus was how do I be the best at what I do? How do how does nobody match up to me? And the money is a byproduct of that. So the only thing I was focusing on was, is all my paperwork in order? Am I selling the most? Is my work the most uh, profitable? You know, am I the most easiest person to get along with? You know, all those things that, you know, dealing with clients, all those things were, well, now work's coming in easier in the door, so I don't have to fight for it as much. Okay, well, that's easy. That's less stress out there. But it was focused on being the best at what I do. And then money was a byproduct. You know, if you're the best at what you do, you know, fighting for money or moving from job to job, that doesn't sound like fun to me, starting at the bottom at a new place every time I go there or people learning to respect me, who I am and what I do. Here, everybody knows what I'm capable of and what I can do. So the respect is there. Yep. And, and that's, that is a, a key factor, right? When Whenever you leave, even if you're, let's say, going, you're a shop supervisor and you're going to be another shop supervisor, right? You've got to redo everything. And you have to hope that when you do that, it's going to extend beyond what you could have had where you're at. And I'm, I'm not advocating for never leaving a job that there's not a reason to leave. I just think many people chase the wrong things, right? They chase that extra pay. And sometimes it can be significant, but that's where you should be able to have a conversation with your existing employer and go, Hey, this is what I'm being offered, right? Like I have to consider it for various reasons, but why are they willing to offer me so much more? I, right. I mean, yeah, that could be a short-term win, long-term loss. But if you're not willing to have that conversation with your employer, then ultimately you're only hurting yourself because you're not using all the data to make that decision. So, for example, even in my CPA firm, I had two people on my team this year got significant offers from other firms. 
but they, we had an open enough conversation that they could come to me and we could work it out as opposed to, I'm just turning in my resignation. See you later. Because they know they didn't really want to leave, but many times in our world, the the market can change dramatically outside of the annual pay raise structure once per year, especially now in the in how you know employees are dealt with, so to speak. So, but if you don't have that ability to have that open door, you could lose some really great people simply because you don't perceive or open the door to somebody and say, "Hey, look." I want to be a mentor to you, right? Beyond you work for me, right? Or f- as a team, we work together. I just happen to be the boss, so to speak. If you can't have a conversation with me, then where are we going to go? You're going to leave eventually anyway, right? It's right. never going to be successful. It doesn't matter. Or you happen to get the person who's just so passive, just takes it on the chin. And that's not fair either, no matter yeah. what. So, you know, t- the key is talk to your people, ha- have conversations, right? Make sure they know they can come to you regardless. And that's where you find the. I mean, I've even counseled people out like, yeah, you're that maybe this job isn't for you. I've helped find jobs for employees of mine at clients because it's a better yeah. environment for them, right? But if you're not willing to have that because you're so afraid to lose people or you lose that resource, well, ultimately you're only hurting yourself as a manager or as an owner. So people are the toughest part, right? And, it, and it's your oh. existing people are the toughest to begin with. Then it's clients or customers. Yeah, one of the, one of the biggest things I'm going to be working on this year is trying to figure out what what is millwork company pays? Cause there's no pay scale for cabinet companies. You know, there's nothing for me to go online and go reference. You know, the biggest thing I have is the community of other woodworking shops that I have relationships with to see what they're paying people, see how they're structured, see what these, you know, their responsibilities are to make sure that we're as competitive as we can be. Cause you know, I can't do this by myself. And when you find people that, really fit in with what you're doing obviously you want to make them stay with within reason so you know the market will only bear so much and if you pay a little bit more than that to these key people it would definitely help incentivize well but even like what we did last year with these sort of creating divisions right and making people leads of four or five different divisions within the company right giving them leadership and ownership because everybody wants to make more money whether that's the price of goods are going up, they want to be able to spend more and go to the nicer vacation or nicer restaurant or buy a nicer truck, right? Every, everybody wants to, to have more. Well, the common conversation, as you and I have had many of these, is, okay, well, if you want more, you have to do more. You can't just do the same job and think you're going to get and make a lot more money because you never really are, right? You may over time get slight raises, but that's not going to allow you to actually make more. The dollars might be more, but you're spending just as much because of inflation or whatever. And so by giving people incentives and responsibilities, well, that's where, right? You all share it. We all grow. We all grow together. And and you find the people who are willing to step up and do that as opposed to the ones who just want to whine and make more money. Right. And, And very quickly. And then they realize that they don't necessarily have the power either because you have that conversation. Okay, well, 
why should you make more? Or I know this was years ago. I, I had a employee come to me and say, well, my husband just got fired. I need to make more money. And I'm like, how does that, what, how is that relevant to the job you're doing right now? <laughs> like, so I have to pay you more because your husband got laid off. Like, yeah, I'm willing to have the conversation if you want to do more or step up. Okay. Let's talk about that. Right. But just because you're afraid you're not gonna be able to make your car payment because somebody got laid off is not your employer's problem. So anybody listening out there that may be in that environment, don't come at it that way. Come no, at it, it, it away. Right. Come, hey, communicate. What can I do more? What can I, yeah. what, I, I'd like to make more. What can I do more to, to earn more? Or if you're and, really good, you do that before you ever ask for more money. Right. Go you know, do it, more. It, prove it. I have a, one of the guys here. He wanted, he's like, hey, my, my wife's pregnant. She's not going to be working. I need, you know, I need to make more money. Okay, that's great. <clears throat> Let's figure out how we can get you there. So we go through all the steps. We set up game plan, milestones, things to achieve, and a dollar figure associated with that. Well, he did it all. Everything was, I'd say, about a month after he got his raise. He shows up in a new car. <laughs> and I just was like, I was like, okay. Uh, you know, I just don't understand that mentality. Was the raise for your wife or was it for a new car? Well, well was, and irrelevant. It, it, to some matter, it doesn't really matter, right? Because he's still, he's still doing more, more responsibility, more things. So that, right. that's fine. But you're right. I would, again, tell people out there, just be honest. Like, hey, I want to make more money because I want to buy a new car. Okay, well, here's how you can do that. Let's here. Figure it out. Yeah, I don't need a reason, but humans in general think they have to give an excuse, right? They have to give some excuse that they think will sound good to whomever they're speaking with to get what they want, as opposed right. to just being honest. Just be honest about it, because guess what? We've all felt the same thing at some time. We all have the same problems, just at different times. That's always the yep. case. It doesn't matter what business you're in, what relationship you're in, what family dynamic you have. We've all had the same problems, just at different times. And now, and maybe that's not always the case, right? If somebody never gets divorced or has never been through that, but... You know, I can speak to divorce. I've never been divorced. I've been with my high school sweetheart, but I have lots of clients who have, right? So I have an outlook to it that maybe some don't that just happen to be in the, the midst of getting divorced, right? So again, be honest, be open, be upfront on no matter where you are in an organization. The more honest and communicative you can be, the better off, right? And yeah. it's hard because you almost have to make yourself accountable to the reality of it. And I think that's the problem. It's accountability. So, yeah, so, so oh, go ahead. I was just going to ask a question about, you know, tell us a little bit more in detail about Woodmark, maybe size and, you know, what you guys specifically do, you know, give some examples there. Well, we're 45,000 square feet uh, manufacturing facility. You know, we produce, you know, just about anything, anything we can turn a profit on. It comes to woodworking and light duty metal. You know, basically the process of this is we're, we bid a job, we get awarded, we produce a set of uh, shop drawings for our shop to produce from. And when those come back, we'll verify field dimensions, program custom parts and pieces, and run them on our, you know, one of our three CNC machines. And just kind of through the process, I know in 2014, we expanded from 30,000 
to, no, is it 35,000? We added on 9,000 square feet for our finished shop. And then 2020, we just added on um, another 12,000 square feet for a total of 45,000 square feet. So basically the last expansion was to make room for all of our new state-of-the-art facility, which at the time we were, I believe, the second people in Houston to have this type of machinery, which, you know, is something we're striving for is to be on the cutting edge of technology because the faster and more efficient we can make things, the more we can sustain these problems. Like the material fluctuations, we know, I know of about four companies that either filed for bankruptcy and opened or and reopened or just flat out shut their doors uh, throughout this process. Yeah, there's a lot of bad financial management in the manufacturing world, right? There's a lot of guys who start a company because they're a great mill worker, for example, right? And they can do great work. And they because they do great work, they get more jobs. Then they get more jobs, they have to hire people. And so now it's managing a company, whether it's financial or people, and maybe they're not very good at that. They're really good at yep. building a desk, right? Yeah. And so that's where it, they can get into the struggle or you hear in the, in, you know, commonly in the construction world of robbing Peter to pay Paul, right? Because they're just always chasing the next job because they've overspent or not really realizing how much money they actually have. Because there's timing differences, even in ours. We win a job. We spend a bunch of money before we ever bill it. Then when we bill it, it still takes two to three months to get paid, right? Yeah. So that that four to six month window of any given job, if you're not financially aware or, ve- or very conservative, it's going to bite you in the butt. And most aren't very conservative. They see money in the bank and they think they can spend it. And that's not necessarily the case. So, well, tell us about your family, Chris. Well, I have a high school sweetheart as well. Her name is Michelle. And then I have two amazing little children. Michelle is a stay-at-home mother and does an amazing job mothering our children. And then Harper, or I'm sorry, Olivia is my oldest. She will be turning nine in about a month. And Harper is eight, or I'm sorry, seven. I get that confused sometimes. But both amazing little kids. Olivia does horseback riding. They love to get involved with um, my stuff. So anytime I'm doing a project outside, both girls get really involved with, you know, helping me out, bringing me tools, bringing me materials. I'm really surprised that they remember uh, how organized my tool set is. So when I tell them I need something, they could typically go and just go grab it. That's awesome. Been, what's been amazing help sometimes. The last project that I did, had, a, we were building a pergola outside, our little gazebo. And my youngest was up there, handed me nails and pieces of shingles as I was meeting him. So, you know, sometimes that extra hand makes you go three times as fast. Yeah. So we're looking... Uh- Go ahead. I was just say that that's great, and and I remember when Olivia was born, right? And and just to, just for you to say that they're nine, just like wow, that sounds I so know. old. <laughs> oh, it's it's funny, but yeah, we and I, I even remember some of our off road trips with before Kit. I had a young one with me, and he's worked at Woodmark for a couple summers now. And I remember the one time that you laid the jeep over in the mud, and Michelle was screaming, and oh man, those good times. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Yeah, we still talk about that. It was, you were telling me to finesse the throttle, and I think I just stepped on it. And, uh, 
There was there was no finesse. There was no. So sometimes you learn by experience. Yeah, I I thought I had it until I was driver's side down in a mud pit. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> so so what's next for Woodmark? What do you think is next? You know, as we get we move more into technology, been integrating a new ERP software, which inter, uh, ERPs. Uh, enterprise resource planning. So before we were trying to manage the size of our company on Excel spreadsheets, which you can imagine turned not very good pretty quick. It's just too much, way too much information to manage over 12 different sheets or different files and just way too much. So this right here, as we integrate this, will give us the foresight we need, just more our better project planning, all the data is consolidated into one platform. So whatever you need for that project is right there. It's already been a huge factor into our success for this year. Just being able to have the visibility that this gives us is amazing. What's next for us? You know, hopefully we can get some more technology in here. I think as, as far as we go, we're almost technology out. We've got the latest and greatest softwares and the latest and greatest machinery. You know, the next steps would just be maybe a couple smaller pieces of machinery to help, you know, speed up production. As we work right now, we're fine tuning our production strategies, uh, make sure our assembly lines just flow as smooth as possible. So just get better at what we do is our future. Yep, and I think that's good probably for the, like I said, maybe we have a couple years of get really good at it. And then to me, the next step is expanding beyond that, or whether that's our own location or potentially merging in another shop or something like that and start to spread out a little bit. Because we do a lot of work in Texas, and it wouldn't necessarily be a bad thing to have either, you know, another shop in, let's say, Austin or Dallas or even South Houston for that matter. Right. Houston's a right. big place. So just to travel and fuel and people cost doesn't get any cheaper. And and we're happy to go out of state. I know that too, but that doesn't happen very often. So well, on the topic of on keeping your, you know, your management informed, basically, what do I do type of thing. So what we did was for all the shop management and office management, started a, a book club to go over the book called The Goal. And it's a manufacturing book. I've already listened to it once before our our book club. And I mean, it's, it, you had, you know, for people in our industry, manufacturing, all of a sudden you're, you having these aha moments throughout the entire book. So we have a PowerPoint for it. And basically we'll read a couple of chapters every week and it gives everybody an opportunity to listen to what the struggles were in the book and how they overcome them and then relate that to our facility and how what struggles we have and how we're going to overcome them. And it gets everybody on the same page, aligning all of our beliefs and, you know, what we're going to do together instead of me just rolling out there and being like, hey, this is what we're going to start. You know, these, you know, upper level management need to have some buy-in about what's going on because they're the one that's going to take it to the home stretch. Yep, and that's exactly right. The buy-in is the key, right? As opposed to just somebody telling you what to do. So have you had any pushback or people not wanting to be part of the book book club? No, it's been really good. We've made a whole bunch of safety changes around here too, and everybody has been really receptive. It's been great. You know, sometimes you 
there's the fear of you might get kicked back so you don't do anything. You know, we just started doing things and everybody just, I mean, fell in line, you know, and it worked out perfectly. Uh, I think that's the message, right? Like, don't be afraid to try something. Doesn't mean it will work. Doesn't mean it won't fail. But if you're afraid to try it because of what you think will happen, then you never even attempted it. And, uh, you know, I, I would have told you, or a lot of people may, might, may say that starting a book club in a manufacturing facility with 25 guys who work with their hands and are out there, you know, working with machines or building whatever, they're not going to want to do a book club. You're crazy, right? <laughs> well, here's, here's an example of that exact environment, and it's working. So those listening out there, don't be afraid to try something. Yeah, it's it's education. You know, if you're not educating your employees, how do you expect to grow? Well, and part of it is you're involved in it, right? If you just went out there and said, hey, everybody read this book, right? Like, okay, well, that that's not taking the full step into, well, we're going to read it, and then we're all going to talk about it, and we're going to make this place better, right? Yep. As opposed to, yeah, y'all go read this, you'll figure it out, or you'll understand what how to make your area better, or whatever. It's the involvement from... Again, all the way up and down the chain. doesn't matter. No one person is more important than another if you have, you know, the right group of people. So, Yeah, I can't do this by myself. That's for damn sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, you've done it all, but do it all by yourself might be a little tough. Yeah, there's no way. It takes a team to, to do what we do. Um, you know, and people have more of a sense of community when you start getting them involved with things and feel like they have a voice. So if they... If they see a problem, they have no problem speaking about it. Whereas if they didn't feel they had a voice, they'd keep it to themselves and nothing would ever get done. Yeah. And sometimes you just have to give that outlook or that the way for someone to have their voice, right? Because they may not say anything otherwise. But now as part of something like a book club, well, now it creates an environment that they're more willing to say it because everybody else is or mm-hmm. right. The, the door has been opened as opposed to somebody else has to open it and walk through it. You open the door, kind of pull them through it a little bit. And, and now they're more than willing to and they're going to be more bought in because they're part of the process. They see it change. They see the effect on what they've done. And now it's better. Right. Yep. Well, that's that's awesome. Well, Chris, what would you say for anyone out there, no matter where they are in their environment, whether they're an owner or the guy cleaning the cabinets, what advice would you give them in just how to have an attitude around doing better for themselves? You know, I I revert back to this one moment, you know, two months after we took in everything, uh, everything was kind of in shambles. You know, there was what to say. There was fixing to be a, a whole bunch of bigger problems here, uh, and I, I took that on, trying to coordinate people, get people back on board. Hey, you know, I'm running it now. And uh, two months into it, we flooded, and it was complete disarray. I was working 16 hours a day, seven days a week, to try and get the flood stuff cleaned up and everything back on track. And I would lay there at night and I would be like, oh man, what am I doing? What did I get myself into? And I just kept on telling myself, you can't give up. You can't give up. Like, there's no way you're where you want to be. You cannot give up now. And, you know, I didn't, and I made it through and I made it through another flood and I made it through a pandemic. I made it through a material crisis. And now I'm making it through the great resignation. 
So, <laughs> you know, there's, the, you know, like Jay said, we haven't had, I think we've had one year where we didn't have anything cur like a huge curveball thrown at us. Uh, but, you know, I've just never stopped focusing on our goal, you know, on my goal, which was to be, I want to be the best. I want to be the best mill workshop there is in Houston. And I won't stop until that happens. And, and, just, I, and I would say we're not far off from that, depending on what sector you're talking from. You know? Yeah. So just never give up. If you have, you know, you have goals. The biggest thing is to set goals and it can't always be based on money. If your sole focus is money, you know, you know, if you're not having fun at work, um, you know, you're just, it's going to take a lot longer to get there and it's just going to be an awful ride. Well, or they think it's money, but really it's not right. That might be the end result, but the goal really is doing X more projects or making them more efficient or having some level of margin. That's this or what, or, you know what I mean? So sometimes a goal can be so broad that it's really hard to achieve it because all the detail behind it was left out. How, how do you right. actually get there? So make smaller goals out of it to do this or that. It can even be, we need to bid five more jobs a week because if we don't, it doesn't do this and this and this and this, right? That's and, right. And, and that's the, that's where people get lost in these two lofty and big goals and they never get there because they never defined the latter. How do we get to that point? Because it's too big and lofty. You know, you know, in the topic of about, I need to make more money because, right. Well, you know, every year when I would go in and negotiate my pay, it was, I need to make more money because look at my sales figures of last year. They're the best the company's ever had. And that's where, that's why I say money was a byproduct of my hard work. You know, at that point, the proof was in the pudding and I didn't really have to fight too hard. That's well, right. I did have to fight kind of hard with the, with with Tony because, but that's okay. He, he and we all love Tony. We all, you know, I give a lot of credit to him. He turned me to uh, into who I am today. But you know, it was never oh, you know, I had a kid or this. It was like, hey man, these are my stats. I'm doing better than everybody else by a long shot. You know, the company's grown this much because of me. You know, we're doing more things. We're making more money. This is all facts, and those are undeniable. And that's where, you know, my compensation was a byproduct of my heart. And that's a great way to look at it, right? So instead of going and asking for more and then doing more, go do more. And then whoever you're talking to or negotiating for pay really can't discount you because you've done it. You've already proven yourself and they can't or they know if they don't, they're going to end up losing a really good person who's willing to put in the work without thinking they have to be paid for it. So too yeah. often in this world is people going, no, pay me first, then I'll do. Nah, that, yeah. that's only gonna that's only gonna work out in the short term. Long term, it's not gonna work out. Exactly, because if you weren't motivated before the money, you're not gonna be motivated after it. That's right. Or again, if someone goes to resign and you keep them on solely by matching an offer and don't have any other sort of discussion, all you've done is put a band aid on the problem. Yep. Because they were out looking, or even if they weren't out looking, they at least listened to someone else, right? 
whether that was for, oh, I need to make sure I am appropriately compensated for my job or whatever the case may be, they're willing to listen. Well, if you're not willing to listen to them also or have communication around it, ultimately, you may keep them for the short term, but the real reason they were going to leave will come up again fairly quickly. Yeah. And so maybe you gained another six months for a year and maybe you're okay with that. And that's fine too as an employer. But if you're looking for loyal long-term employees, which ultimately is better off for you as any organization because the efficiency of keeping them is so much cheaper, then you have to have that communication. You have to have that door open. And that's not easy and it's not always going to be done. It's not a perfect system. But if it's not, then you're just throwing Band-Aids out there and ultimately you're creating a problem for yourself as an employer or a manager yeah. or who, whatever you're in charge of, right? It, again, you don't have to be an owner to do this. It, it's anyone who manages people and that goes up and down. Lower level people should also manage up, communicate up. Yeah. Well, Chris, it was great having you today. Is there anything else you'd like to throw out there? No, just thanks for having me. I was excited when you asked me get to be on my first podcast. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm sure we'll have you back. I will love an update as, as Woodmark grows and prospers. And it's definitely been fun being part of the environment and being a resource to you. And, and I've really seen you grow into all the stuff three years ago that I was doing. You were paying attention. Yeah. And I want to yeah. let you know that was the case. And I know you were. And, uh, and we'll make you into a 100% owner-operator before you ever know it and have 15 locations or something crazy. You know how I think, big and long term. Oh, I so. know. I know. That's what I love about it. You are you are always driving me. You know, sometimes Jay comes up with these, these wild ideas that aren't too wild. But to me, I'm just like, oh, man, this guy's got an imagination. But <laughs> I, I'm like, you know what? I'm going to give it everything I got to try and fulfill what he's what he wants to do, and then we can uh, talk about it. Well, and sometimes that. it's not even what I want to do. It's the, are we at least considering it, right? Because right. if you're not if you're not thinking about it, then you may miss an opportunity. You may miss exactly. the ability to do something that could be better, right? So if you don't at least think about it or consider it and, and gain other people's perspectives, right? My perspective is different than your perspective, different than Arthur's perspective or Martin's perspective, right? And so it's like... Yeah. If you don't gain those perspectives into what could be, well, maybe you're missing what should be, even if you think what could be. So right. anyway, it was great having you on. I'm sure we'll have you back and look forward to continue to work with you. Yes, sir. Have a good one. Thanks, Jay. Bye. And there it is. Another fantastic episode. Don't forget to check out the show notes at maverickcpa.com. And you can find out more about all the ways we can help you at BakerTilly.com. That's it for this episode. Have a great week, and we'll talk to you next time.